the NLCS stage is set. Will the D-backs continue their Cinderella run, or will the Phillies complete last year's mission and get back to another World Series? You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to who? Always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I've been hosting this podcast since 2020, and now I get to see the D-backs in the NLCS. Thank you for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen every day. We're on all your podcasting platforms, and please hit subscribe to Locked on Diamondbacks on YouTube. And please check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. Now, for today's website, we are going to be talking about, is this the best D-backs bullpen since when? When was the last time we've seen the D-backs bullpen this dominant? Who should be playing third base in the NLCS and moving forward? But before we get there, we first need to talk about the NLCS, do a little preview, do a little discussion. I want to do a major preview for Monday's podcast before game one, but Let's just do a general discussion right now because the stage is set for the National League Championship Series. We are going to see the reigning National League champs, Philadelphia Phillies versus the Arizona Diamondbacks, that little team from Phoenix. Stage is set. This should be a really fun battle. Right now, this Phillies team it's not a surprise to see that they're back in the mix. Even though they were a wildcard team this past regular season, the Phillies were a wildcard team just last year when they went to the World Series. And we consider the expectations that the Phillies themselves have for themselves. Like, it's basically championship or bust with this Philadelphia Phillies team and their roster and their mentality because their GM, their executive, Dave Dombrowski, when he goes someplace, the first thing he does is usually trade away all your young pieces, bring in veterans, bring in star players, sign guys in free agency, make major deals. That's what he's done the last few years. And now this Phillies team is on the precipice of going to back-to-back World Series. And you would want that if you're a Philadelphia Phillies fan, considering you are fifth in payroll. This is a Phillies team that is not afraid to spend money. They got Bryce Harper on a big long-term deal, right? You look at the Phillies team last year, that team was loaded with talent in that lineup. That team was spending a lot of money last season to get to the World Series. And then what did they do this past offseason to improve themselves? They went out there and signed like the Taiwan Walkers to the rotation. Stuff like that was nice little complimentary pieces. But they also went out there and spent big money on the Trey Turners of the world, who is one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball. Yes, he had himself a little bit of a down season, but you can see what he does in a postseason series. This dude can provide power for you. This guy could provide speed, defense, and of course, he's playoff tested. This guy has a World Series ring already on his finger, so he knows what it takes. Bryce Harper, I mean... When you talk about that dude in the postseason, like, is there a Major League Baseball player you would trust more when you get to the playoffs? We always talk about 
dudes and their intangibles and hitting a switch when the pressure is the biggest, when the moment is the brightest. Bryce Harper is by far one of those guys. This Phillies team is absolutely loaded, I believe, in the lineup. The rotation is solid. Two good frontline starters. The bullpen is good enough. I think this Phillies team is going to be very scary, very deadly to play. This D-backs team has already seen the Phillies a little bit this year, and they do have some success against the Phillies. Even though this is the reigning NL champs, it's not like they steamrolled the D-backs this season because don't forget, this D-backs team also had themselves a pretty good year. The Phillies were just 4-3 and three against the D-backs this season. Now, they did outscore them by, I think, nine between 9 and 11 runs. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they had a decent little run differential against the D-backs. Nothing too crazy, though, but definitely had a little run differential against the D-backs. But I do think this D-backs team, on paper, can definitely match up with the Philadelphia Phillies. When I look at the rotation, the frontline starters, Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly, I think I like them more than uh, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, at least based off how the two sides pitched this season. I look at the lineup, yeah, Phillies will give you that. Your lineup is way better in terms of the name value, but considering how the D-backs were playing, it's probably a wash, and the D-backs still have major talent. Corbin Carroll, the rookie of the year, top five MVP finalist, arguably the best player in the postseason, probably after Bryce Harper. Uh, he's there. Ketel Marte looks like the best second, baseball, best second baseman in baseball once again. Christian Walker, absolutely phenomenal. Then you got contributions from other dudes in your lineup, like the Gabriel Morenos of the world. Like, even though on paper, the D-backs lineup position players are not getting paid like the Philadelphia Phillies, they're at least producing like those Philadelphia Phillies players. And this Phillies lineup, I mean, we're going to have to find a way to slow it down um, in the NLCS. It's not going to be easy. The Phillies offense against the D-backs this season, 282 average, 821 OPS against the D-backs. Uh, one of the better marks they had against any team this season. I mean, it's not a surprise. Like I said, you just go up and down that Phillies lineup, and it just it's it just deep all over. I mean, here, I'll look at some of the stats and numbers for you guys for this Phillies lineup. But JT Romuto, I mean, one of the best offensive catchers in Major League Baseball. Absolute stud. Bryson Stott in his second season. Maybe didn't put up the enormous peripheral numbers, but still, 15 home runs, 31 stolen bases, at least is a dynamic athlete. Same with Trey Turner. The peripheral numbers, or at least the slash line, wasn't that great, but still, near 30-30 home run season. Like, Kyle Schwarber batted below 200 on the year. Still, 800-plus OPS and nearly 50 home runs. Like, he's still someone to be reckoned with. Brandon Marsh, over 800 OPS. Nick Castellanos, he had... 29 home runs, over 100 ribbies. Then Bryce Harper, 293 average, 900 OPS in the regular season. Like that lineup is just super deep, and it's something that the D backs are really going to have to contend with because in the postseason, that Phillies offense has carried over their production from the regular season. In the playoffs so far, the Phillies offense has scored the third most runs, and they're second in OPS to, of course, the Arizona Diamondbacks, who of course, are just having a fantastic offensive postseason. I'm sure we all saw that coming. And this Phillies pitching staff, like I said, is kind of like the D-backs. When you look at those two frontline starters and then some of the question marks 
after those two frontline starters. Like, I think the D-backs, from a rotation standpoint, I kind of like how they match up against the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't think the Phillies really care too much about those supplementary pieces in their rotation like the Ranger Suarez's or the Taiwan Walkers. Like, I don't think the Philadelphia Phillies care about those pitchers too much. They're definitely going to try and get the uh, Wheelers and Aranolas in the rotation as much as possible. And if they're able to do that, if you do get potentially four starts out of Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, haven't really dived too much into the rest days and how the series stack up. But if you can at least get three to four starts out of those two guys in this seven-game series, like that's going to be huge for this Philadelphia Phillies team. But since the D-backs finished their series up earlier, they should be able to do the same with both a Zach Gallen and a Merrill Kelly. And the fact that they finished their series early and neither one of those guys went in the closeout game, the D-backs should be perfectly rested for this Philadelphia Phillies team because you're going to need it from a pitching staff for that Phillies offense and also the bullpen. This D-backs bullpen, right? We always talk about average as average at best in the regular season, really heated up in the postseason. Same with this Phillies bullpen as well. It's never really been a strength, but once again, you look at the postseason, this bullpen has heated up for the Phillies. Third best bullpen ERA in the postseason. Again, just behind the Arizona Diamondbacks. And when you look at what the Phillies pitching did in the regular season against the Arizona Diamondbacks, it was all right. It wasn't like elite. They had a 4.5 ERA against the D-backs and 64 innings pitch. They had eight home runs allowed. Like both of those teams, I think were pretty close to even in the regular season, even though the Phillies outscored the D-backs. I don't think it was anything egregious. Yes, this Phillies team is absolutely loaded. When you look at the lineup, the rotation is solid. The bullpen is fine. That's why they are the defending National League champion um winners right now right they are the the defending nl champ pennant winners right um trying to go back to their second straight world series and i think winning games in philly will be tougher than anything the d-backs have experienced this postseason it'll be tougher than winning games in unfortunately wisconsin it'll be tougher than winning games in los angeles i think not just Phillies fans. I think, honestly, Philadelphia fans are just the best in any sport. I think they're the most rambunctious. I think they're the loudest. I think they're the most aggressive. And the D-backs going into Citizens Bank Park, I mean, it's going to be loud. You're going to need some earbuds if you're these D-backs batters. Like, it's going to be obnoxious in there. But that's what makes the playoffs so much fun. The atmospheres, right? And that Phillies atmosphere is going to be rocking even though I'm an opponent I am so happy to see I love to see these stadiums filled during the postseason I want to see people going out to playoff baseball games and cheering on their favorite teams um it makes me happy as a you know a baseball podcast host so that Philly crowd is going to be insane it's going to be the toughest environment that the D-backs have played in but considering how the D-backs have played on all sides of the ball they can accomplish anything now I want to talk to you guys about who should play third base for the D-backs for the rest of the postseason or at least the start of the NLCS. But before we get there, I first want to talk to you guys about Sleeper because the MLB playoffs are here, which means the clock is ticking on your chance for up to 100 times cash on daily fantasy baseball. Baseball has never been more exciting than it is now with studs like Okunia. 
Betts, and Otani. Pick more or less stats for these stars like home runs, hits, strikeouts, and more for up to 100 times payout on Sleeper. Get your picks right and you can win big. And the best part of Sleeper is it's not just great for daily fantasy sports. You can also use it for regular fantasy sports. I use it for fantasy football, my dynasty league specifically. It archives all my players year to year. can do my rookie draft on there. Absolutely fantastic. So use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get up to $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See, slur- see Sleeper's terms of use for details. And don't forget to catch every D-backs pitch on the hometown broadcast when you download the series XM app and search up Diamondbacks. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the lock on Diamondbacks podcast. Let's talk about who should play third base for the D-backs in the NLCS and potentially going forward because when you look at the D-backs stats so far in the postseason, the one really position that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb is the third base position for the D-backs because, of course, Corbin Carroll right field crushing it, Gabriel Moreno at catcher crushing it. Uh, I mean, just go all around the diamond, Quetzal Marte, Christian Walker, like a lot of dudes are playing well. Tommy Pham at DH is looking good. Perdomo's fine. Like, obviously, he's only batting 167, but he still has a 792 OPS because Perdomo has that power like we saw in game number three against the Dodgers. But really... The player that's struggling most in the lineup that's an everyday guy in the position we're getting the least amount of value from right now is third base for the D-backs because look at Evan Longoria right now. Yes, he's a little bit older, MLB veteran, but there's a reason why he's still in the lineup. Toy Lovello really wanted Evan Longoria on the playoff roster, the most experienced guy the D-backs probably have, but so far this postseason hasn't really come through with offensive production, 167 average, 422 OPS, no home runs, and just two RBIs for the D-backs. And that power is probably something that we want to see most of all from Evan Longoria because that's kind of why the D-backs brought him in, right? To be a platoon power bat. And in the first half of the season, those first couple months, we did see a little power from Evan Longoria. But the second half to the postseason, we just really haven't. And I've been pro Evan Longoria because he does bring a veteran presence. And I still think he's fine defensively like I don't think he's a slouch out there I don't think he's a liability I just don't think he's the gold glove winner he was at third base back in his prime he doesn't move as well and of course he's near 40 so it makes sense he's not elite as elite defensively as he once was but like I said he's no slouch over there he's still fine he's just a little bit less rangy in that arm strength it's just not as strong, but considering his age and considering his lack of offensive production right now, we do have to ask the question, is Evan Longoria the best option for third base right now? And to answer that question, you also have to look at the other D-backs options at third base. So let's break it down a little bit, right? And let's, let's at least talk about the dudes we have seen on the playoff roster so far. So the first dude I want to talk about and the dudes we've seen for the D-backs this season playing third base that would have a realistic chance of playing third base in a postseason series, right? So the first guy is Jordan Lawler. And this is the guy that I think would be mo- the, the most tantalizing guy to see in a playoff game, right? Because Jordan Lawler, the number two overall pick just from a couple years ago, made his debut this season. 
I think it's pretty clear that all the signs that Lawler has showed tells you that he's not ready offensively. He's not developed there just yet. Super high strikeout rate, swings at the high heat pretty easily. Like it's not that hard to to honestly just strike out Jordan Lawler if you need to. He does all the rookie tendencies, all the bad habits that you need to break out when you're young. But the pro Lawler case is still defensively, he's as good as anyone. He's probably more of a shortstop, but I think considering where Evan Longoria is in his career, Lawler could definitely do what um, Longoria is doing defensively. And honestly, Lawler would just move. I, I don't even know why I'm saying Lawler at third base. I mean, if we are taking out Evan Longoria, that means we're moving Perdomo probably to third and then Lawler at shortstop. And Perdomo actually has been a, a fine third baseman. He's more comfortable. He's more natural. He's better at shortstop, but he can definitely handle third base, no problem. And then if you do have Lawler at shortstop, the left side of your infield defensively is probably better with Lawler, Perdomo, than Longoria, Perdomo. So your defense would probably upgrade if you put Lawler at shortstop, then move Perdomo to third base. Then also, Lawler at least brings a level of speed and athleticism that you just don't get from Evan Longoria. I mean, Lawler is barely old enough to drink, and he just I, he's a dynamic athlete. He's a young player, and so someone like that could just be helpful. That could just be a wild card as a pinch runner, you know, like we're seeing right now. But if he was inserted into the lineup, um, that could be pretty interesting as a guy at the bottom of your lineup. Him and Perdomo back-to-back, that would be some real speed at the bottom of your lineup. So I think Lawler would be an interesting candidate to play technically shortstop in the postseason. The other option, Emmanuel Rivera. Really good strikeout rate. Doesn't strike out a ton. The hard contact numbers are actually pretty impressive for Emmanuel Rivera. And he's got great BABIP. I, I, the thing with BABIP, I don't know how to use it. Whenever someone has like a 300 Babbitt, people are like, oh, that just means they get super lucky and they're going to regress. And then if someone has like a 220 Babbitt, they're like, oh, they're better than their Babbitt suggests. They're going to bounce back. But to me, it's like if someone has a 300 Babbitt, that just means they're a good player and they put balls in play. That doesn't mean it's luck or whatever. Like, I don't know really how to utilize Babbitt or how other people utilize Babbitt. But Manu Rivera, great Babbitt. Maybe that means something to you. Maybe it doesn't. But I figured I'll throw it out there. The numbers that do mean something to everyone, though. Emmanuel Rivera, with runners in scoring position. 295 average with runners in scoring position. And then in high leverage moments, 302 average and an 843 OPS. Emmanuel Rivera, low-key kind of clutch in the big moments. Low-key came through for the D-backs when they needed a big RBI this season. It wasn't always, it wasn't often, but Emmanuel Rivera wasn't the worst guy to have at the plate Six seventh inning, you needed an RBI down a couple. Emmanuel Rivera, Manny wasn't too bad in that situation. So, if you just need a bat that hits hard singles, Manny is not the worst option there. But if you want to talk about not the best option, but someone that was on the D backs postseason roster, Jace Peterson, this is the option I definitely don't want to see, but we'll at least discuss it. 183 average, 534 OPS with the D backs this season. Obviously, those numbers are not impressive at all. But one number that's kind of impressive, 772 OPS with runners in scoring position. That's not the worst. I just don't want any part of Peterson. I just figured I'll throw him into the discussion out of courtesy. I think if you want experience at third base, you go with Longo. If you want a dynamic athlete, you go with Jordan Lawler. If you want someone to just get you a hit, 
you go with Rivera. And if you just want a warm body to play third base, you go with Jace Peterson. Personally, I still like going with Evan Longoria. I know he hasn't performed well, but that experience matters to me. I trust him in a big moment, even though he hasn't come through. He just feels like he adds a different level of mystique and credibility to the lineup when he's in it. He's a borderline Hall of Famer despite his age. I still would probably trust him. Like If you told me D-backs are down two runs, there's a man on second and third, there's two outs, and it's either Lawler, Manny, Longo, or Peterson at the plate, I'm probably picking Longo of those four because I've seen Longo deliver in huge moments in his career. I would love to see him do that for the D-backs. I still believe he can crank one at any time when he's at the plate. Manny, not really much of a power threat. Lawler, I mean, we've barely seen him do anything on the major league level. And Jace Peterson, I just don't even think is a major leaguer. I know Longoria, not as rangy as he used to be. Arm, not as strong. I don't think he's a liability. And he's the guy that I trust most at third base in the postseason. Now, I want to talk to you guys about whether this is the best D-back bullpen that we've ever seen in the postseason. But before we get there, I first want to talk to you guys about FanDuel because October baseball is back and can make your postseason debut with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join FanDuel today and you'll get started with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to create your new account. Then you can get in on the action from the first pitch until the final out. Bet on everything from strikeouts to home runs to who will win the game. And if you don't want to wait the whole game to get a W, predict what will happen in the next at-bat with quick bets. So head on over to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn right now. Step up to the plate this postseason with $200 of bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more at FanDuel, official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. And don't forget to catch every D-backs pitch on the hometown broadcast when you download the series XM app and search up Diamondbacks. All right, all right, all right. Back on the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. If you like the podcast, please follow me on Twitter at careerthomas24 for my personal account. Look up Locked on Diamondbacks on both Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, we're on YouTube, Locked on Diamondbacks on there. So please hit subscribe and we're on all your podcasting platforms. Now, I want to talk about when was the last time we've seen this level of dominance from this D-backs bullpen? Because right now, I can't believe what I'm watching from this bullpen. How many times have I said on this podcast, the bullpen has been the biggest weakness of this team the last few seasons. It was by far the most frustrating part. How many times just last season were we like, man, Merrill Kelly, another fantastic six, seven innings. Zach Allen, another, like, during Zach Allen's scoreless streak, like, how many of those games did we actually win because the bullpen didn't come through when we needed him, when we needed them to, after a fantastic Zach Allen performance? There were so many games over the last few seasons where you just look at the bullpen as the reason why the D-backs couldn't, couldn't get it done, right? It's been, like, a running joke on Twitter, like, all right, D-backs up three runs after six. Will they win this game, or will the D-backs bullpen muck it up as they always do? 
And the answer, for the most part, for the last few seasons, it's usually been the D-backs bullpen mucking it up. And even this season, there were points, not in the first half really, but in the second half for sure, there was a couple months stretch there where this D-backs bullpen looked like the worst bullpen, arguably, in Major League Baseball. They couldn't record outs. They were giving up hard contact left and right, home runs, earned runs, no strikeouts, a lot of walks. Like, this D-backs bullpen at one point was terrible. Who could you even trust? Like, it was like Kevin Ginkle, and then after that, it was like the, the Scott McGuffs, the Castros. I mean, it really didn't matter who you called upon. It felt like they were going to get shelled, even the Joe Mantiplies of the world, even the Kyle Nelsons of the world. Like, I don't know who you could have trusted in the D-backs bullpen for a couple months stretch there post-All-Star break, but you look at this D-backs bullpen now. Fantastic. Second in Major League Baseball right now in the postseason in ERA, 1.77. And they're second to the Blue Jays who got knocked out in the wild card round. So can you really even count them? The craziest part of the Z-Bex bullpen is who they've had to go against because the Brewers were the second best bullpen in Major League Baseball in terms of ERA. The Dodgers were third. And the D-Bex bullpen just outpitched both of those teams. And it's insane to think about when you think about the relievers on those two teams, right? From the Devin Williams to whoever you want to name on the Dodgers because they always have relievers in that pen. It was the D-backs, Ryan Thompson's and the South Franks who were able to get it done, which is just absolutely quite, which is just absolutely crazy. And I want to actually ask, like, when was the last time the D-backs had a bullpen this trustworthy? Because honestly, I haven't seen it during my time as the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast host, right? I've been doing this since 2020, and during none of those years did the D-backs have a good bullpen. My first year doing this, I think Junior Guerrera was like our best reliever. Had the Hector Rondones out there, like, it was bad my first season. My second season, I think it was like the Joaquin Sorias and the Tyler Clippards out there. Last year then, you had like the Chris Davinsky's of the world really crapping the bed for the D-backs. But this season, I mean, there were times where it was not good. Kyle Nelson, the Joe Mantiplies of the world, I thought were going to be a little bit better this season. But Kevin Ginkle has emerged. You traded for Paul Seawald. And then Sal Frank and Ryan Thompson have been revelations for you guys. And if you actually look at the stats for the D-backs pitching this postseason, I mean, from the bullpen perspective, just, just incredible stuff. By those guys, I mean, it's been mostly four dudes. Kevin Ginkle, let me actually look at the innings pitch. Um, because, of course, the people who have the most innings pitch are the three starters, Gallon, Fott, and Kelly. Then after that, Ryan Thompson is fourth, five innings pitch. He has a 3.6 ERA because of those two earned runs he allowed, but that was only in that one outing. The other outings he had, the three other games, he's looked absolutely fantastic. Four strikeouts to one walk. Still love Ryan Thompson. Kevin Ginkle. 4.1 innings pitch, no earned runs, eight strikeouts to just two walks. Paul Sewald, four innings pitch, no earned runs, five strikeouts to no walks. His whip, 0. 0.5 with a 143 average allowed. Even Joe Mantiply has been really good. 2.2 innings pitch, no earned runs, 0. 0.38 whip, no hits allowed. And then Sal Frank, 1.1 innings pitch, no earned runs. The D-backs actually have a bullpen you can trust. And I think the last time the D-backs had a bullpen like this that was trustworthy in the postseason, I think the last time was actually the last time they were in the NLCS, 
2007, I think the bullpen that year was really the strength of that team. You can make the argument because you look at some of those relievers in the regular season, Valverde, 2.66 ERA, double-digit strikeouts per nine and 47 saves. Tony Pena, 3.27 ERA. Brandon Lyon, 2.68 ERA. Juan Cruz, 3.1. Doug Slayton, 2.72. Like, they had some really good relievers in the back end of their bullpen. And when you look at their numbers, once that team got to the postseason, it only got even better for those D-backs relievers, if you could believe that. Because in the postseason, what some of those relievers were able to do for the D-backs, I mean, I think it's a big reason why the D-backs in 2007 was able to get to the championship series. Now, that team wasn't, of course, able to you know, finish the job and actually get to the World Series, but I think the bullpen could make the argument was the biggest reason why the D-backs were at least able to get to the championship series because you look at the D-backs relievers, Throughout the postseason 2007, Brandon Lyon, six innings pitch, no earned runs. Ramon Pena, 5.1 innings pitch, no earned runs. Jose Valverde, 4.2 innings pitch, no, uh, 4.2 innings pitch, one earned run. Juan Cruz, 4.1 innings pitch, no earned runs. Dustin Nipper, 2.1 innings pitch, no earned runs. And then Doug Slayton, 1.1 innings pitch, no earned runs. The D-backs bullpen literally allowed one earned run in 2007. This D-backs bullpen this year is not quite as dominant as that team, but they are as close as you can be to that team. And with this D-backs bullpen currently pitching on the level of that 2017 that got swept by the Colorado Rockies, I think this D-backs team has a better chance of going farther and not getting swept because they got the bullpen that the 2007 team had, but they're a lineup way more dynamic. You didn't have a Zach Allen. You didn't have a Merrill Kelly in the front line of your rotation either. I think those are going to be the biggest strengths as to why the D-backs could potentially beat the Philadelphia Phillies and make it to the World Series. Now that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Want to do a major preview for Monday's podcast. Maybe it'll even be a little crossover. I got to reach out to the Locked on Phillies guys, so we'll see. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Go says.